What do you really wish you would have known or someone would have told you before applying to the U.S. to study? So I think two main things. One, that I should be careful about money, about the costs of your education, right? Right. Because often we just, I just, I just wanted to go to America. Yeah. Right? Oh yeah. That's, so, that's the, the hunger, right? Yeah. yeah. So you want to fall bush. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. You just want to fall bush. And so regardless of how much it costs, if they give you the I-20, you'll take it, you'll go to the embassy and try to get your visa. Right. right? Then there's a lot of trouble on the other side of it. I oh, wish yes. I knew that, Right. Because I graduated with some debt. Welcome to the show. I am your host, Anya Fombat, and I spark the heart conversations that challenge questionable cultural and societal norms that threaten the well-being of the African community. And I also share stories about growing up as Africans in Africa and in the diaspora. I strongly believe that normalizing open discussions and sharing experiences, whether good or bad, will not only make you find your voice, but will broaden your sense of purpose and empower others to do the same. So if you have ever tried challenging certain African cultural and societal doctrines, or if you have ever felt like it is about time that we confronted these issues in our African community and do better as a people, or even if you have always been interested in learning about the experiences of other Africans growing up in Africa and the diaspora, then you are in the right place. Welcome to Living African. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Living African. So today we will be continuing a conversation on the international student experience and we will also talk about or rather explore further opportunities that prospective students can take advantage of, especially those who plan on going to the United States of America. So I have here with me Richard Iwane, who was the founder of the Student Advisor, and he will be here to tell us more about these opportunities and I hope that you can learn something from this episode by the end of the episode. So welcome, Richard. How are you doing today? I'm great. I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you. It's such a pleasure, you know, connecting with you and having you on this platform. So let's just get right into it. Can you please just tell us about your story and, you know, basically of being an international student in America Mm -hmm. and then also returning home, home meeting Cameroon, you know, after you completed your studies? Okay. So yeah, my name is Richard Iwanem. I, I was born and raised here in Cameroon. Primary school in Yaoundé, secondary school in Mamenda, this you know. Mm-hmm. And then I went to college in the States. I went to, I studied international business and economics at Ohio Northern University. Mm-hmm. Um, really small private school, uh, middle of nowhere in Ohio. But I mean, I loved it. You yeah. know, when I first, yeah, you know, the, the thing is, when I was doing my search here, I didn't know much about you know, America. I saw right. America was, was all New City, you know. And I, I remember we flew into D.C. and then we drove to Ohio. Wow. And I remember, right, I remember we, when we started driving past a bunch of cornfields, I remember thinking, what on earth? <laughs> right. Is this the America? <laughs> right. And so my, my school was dead in the middle of these cornfields, real small, like small town Ohio. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the beginning, I was a bit worried, you know, I was the first African kid to go to that school. Oh, um, There had never been an African kid there before. There were maybe 10 international students total. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I remember, and the school was like 90% or like 80% 
uh, Caucasian. Oh. And uh, so you can imagine it was, yeah. it, was, it was a bit different for me. And so I was a bit worried. But um, I'm actually quite thankful that I went there because it allowed me to re-examine a lot of the preconceived notions I had about, um, you know, different races and how people behave and how people think and things like that. Yeah. Um, anyway, so I went to Ohio Northern. When I graduated, Ohio Northern actually hired me as an admissions counselor. So I, I did that job. I used my OPT, actually, to, mm-hmm. to work as an admissions counselor there um, and then came back home. Right. People thought I was crazy for coming home, but I had been out of Cameroon for five, five to six years. And, you know, I, I felt like, you know, let me, let me come home, see how things are. And then I'll decide whether or not I want to stay here or I want to go back to America home. And it was just, uh, it was quite a roller coaster. (laughs) A different world. (laughs) It was a different world. You know, readjusting when I first got home was, was difficult, um, really difficult, because you you know I'd apply for jobs and they'd ask me who who's backing you like, like who's backing you up you know right I'm not, I, mean, I don't I don't know what that means here's my experience here's my you know here's all of that and they said oh, that's great but that not that's not enough mm. um, and so I had that rude awakening of coming home and realizing oh you know this is this is different but at the same time I quickly realized that there are a lot of opportunities uh, here if you can persevere and if you can find um, the right avenues, uh, mm-hmm. you can really be uh, uh, fulfilled here. Um, so my first job when I came home, I worked at the, the Solomon Tandemuna Foundation. I was the assistant director uh, director there. Um, I've always had the um, like the humanitarian bug. You know, it's yeah. always been a thing for me, giving back, helping people out. Um, and so the foundation was a great place for me to start because they do a lot of, um, you know, philanthropy. Um, they work with a lot of orphanages, um, a lot of street kids um, and, and people who have uh, disabilities as well. So it was great. I worked there for a few years. And then the U.S. Embassy hired me as um, educational advisor. And so I did that for a few years. And and my job at the embassy was to, again, work with students uh, who wanted to go and study in America. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's when I really got to see the the gap in the service that is provided for our students here. I mean, I remember this being being a high school student myself. I didn't know where to turn to. I didn't know. I mean, I had no information. I was just kind of feeling my way, feeling my way through the dark. And I was fortunate enough to, you know, to, to get a, an I to get an admission, get my I-20 and get my visa. But a lot of people are not as fortunate. So many kids who are highly qualified just kind of fall through the cracks. My time at the embassy really made me see that after working at the embassy, for a few years, I actually quit and joined a political campaign. Hmm. I joined a Karamuna's campaign for president because, again, I've always had this need to to, to kind change. of play my part. Right? Yeah. I felt I felt like you know I, I'm sitting here at the embassy, great salary, all of that, but. Uh, I felt felt like I needed to be doing more. So this seemed like a great opportunity for me to do that. It was a fantastic experience. After that, I stayed on with with Akere as with Batonye Muna as his private secretary and. I also launched the student advisor um, to kind of try and help these populations that that have this need, right? Uh, Cameroon students who are qualified, mm-hmm. but just don't know how to go about about getting these these opportunities. So, right. so I kind of do those two things now, but mainly mainly the, the student advisor. Wow. What a story. Thank you so mm-hmm. much for sharing all of that. That was such a great summary. And we definitely will get deeper into each 
aspect of your life because I feel like a few things that you mentioned, a lot of international students, and basically I too could relate, you know, to your own experience coming to America and everything like that. So we're definitely going to dig deeper into that shortly. Now, just explain to us your application process, like when you first made that decision that you were going to the United States, right? So why did you pick that little university in Ohio? And how was your application process and the interview process to get that F-1 visa? Right. So I wanted to study public relations, but because you, you never really, the visa is not guaranteed, right? So I was, I was a student. I uh, enrolled at the University of Boya. Mm-hmm. And while I was there, you know, I would go to the, the cyber cafe mm-hmm. every day and just kind of do research about what are the great public relations schools in America. Mm-hmm. And this small school, Ohio Northern University, was a really good school because the president of the Public Relations Society of America was a professor there. Wow. Right. Mm-hmm. And the president of the Public Relations Student Society of America was a student at Ohio Northern. I mean, this was a fantastic PR school. And so I thought, oh, OK, I want to study PR. This this, this seems like a, a great school to be. And so I looked into what it, what it takes to apply. Mm-hmm. Fortunately for me, I had already written the SAT when I was in when I was in, in high school, when I was in upper six. So I already had that score. And so I you know, started working on the essay. I went to my teachers for letters of recommendation. Basically took my time and 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 kind of filled out the application form, did the, the essay, did the letters of recommendation, asked for scholarships, um, and did all of that. Um, submitted my application and I just kind of went back to school and you know, I wasn't really waiting for anything. I didn't know. I, I applied to one school and that was it. That was a higher northern, which mm. is a mistake people people make. I shouldn't have done that. Um, <laughs> but I didn't I, I didn't know any better uh, back right. then, but fortunately, Ohio Northern uh, eventually called and, and told me, hey, you know, uh, we would like to offer you admission. Uh, we'd like to offer you partial scholarship. And so, yeah, so that was great. This was the one school I applied to. So I, I, I received my I-20 in the mail and I went to the embassy. And I think, I'm not sure, I, I, I should have been denied a visa, honestly. When I, when I, when I back on my interview, the things I said, you know, about how I chose the school and all of that, I, I should have been denied a visa. Someone there, you know, had a, so much goodwill. I, I don't know. I don't know. I got, I got <laughs> uh, because I remember being asked, why did you choose a school? And my answer was, oh, I found it online. Oh. That was, <laughs> what? You know, I mean, that doesn't mean anything, right? Right. And so I, I think I, I, I kind of got lucky. Most people, unfortunately, don't are not as, as lucky. And so it is all these things, you know, my experience applying, my experience going for the interview, my experience as an international student that eventually brought me to think, huh, maybe I can actually uh, help bridge the gap between the students and the opportunities that are, that are out there. Wow, that's interesting. So basically, I, I, I actually discovered that we kind of share similar stories, especially not necessarily at the embassy, because <laughs> I, I think I was a little bit more prepared, but thankfully we were both given the visas, but like just coming to America, right? I also came to like a very small private school in, in, in Michigan, actually, Madonna University. It was still like a yeah. Catholic school. Like I was probably the only black person in most of my classes, very few international students as well in the middle of very, very small town, Livonia Mm -hmm. in Michigan. And I mean, that was also the only school I applied to. (laughs) (laughs) In fact, I wouldn't even say I applied to, my dad applied to. And that was just because one of his friends was a teacher 
out there. So he just wanted me to okay. be around someone. School? Sorry. Was a teacher at that particular school? Yeah, at the school. Yes. Okay. okay. Yeah. So he just wanted me to be around someone familiar, like a Cameroonian mm-hmm. and stuff. But he was the only Cameroonian, like the only African teacher in the entire yeah. school, you know? And I mean, I was, I had hoped to study pharmacy, but that school did not even offer a pharmacy program. It just did. I just did like prerequisites to get into the pharmacy school. And then after mm-hmm. that, I moved to Ohio. Actually, I was in the University of Toledo, which should be about two to three hours away from Ohio Northern. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's where I went to pharmacy school. And I mean, the rest mm-hmm. is history. But it's it's kind of amazing how, you know, we could we could have easily gotten misled. Right. And we're just thankful yeah. that back then things were not as stringent as now in terms of like the processes, the application process and stuff. And I know you mentioned the SAT um, exams. For those who don't know, the SAT or SAT, like we call it back home, it's one of the exams that a lot of universities require for you to take if you're graduating from high school in order to, you know, qualify for an admission into the university. And the higher your scores, the better. So that was such an, you know, an experience even though for me, per se, like my, my parents, actually, my dad especially helped me with a lot of my application process. But for those who don't have that luxury of having their parents, you know, helping them out, you know, I feel like this podcast episode will be very, very resourceful for them, which we will find out shortly. Now, you spoke about your you being the only international, basically the only African in that school. Like, what experiences stood out to you, like, when you were studying in school, like, culture shock or just people not understanding your culture or people not understanding where you're coming from? Like, what are those fun stories that we all have? <laughs> I remember, because I, I started, I didn't start in the fall. Mm-hmm. I started in the spring. Me too. So I started in Canada <laughs> in like February, and I remember getting on campus and kind of walking around and going to the international office and asking, you know, are there, are there black people here? You know, like <laughs> what's going on? And so they told me, Oh, there's a black student union, you know, they're meeting it's every Thursday in this building. So I was like, Oh, great. Next Thursday. I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm going there. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, back in the, in the, in the residence hall, back in the dorm, I remember one of the first evenings I, I get a knock on my door. And I look through the little peephole and yeah. I see five white kids. Mm. And I think, oh, no. What, uh, you know, all the, the stories we hear growing up, like, you right. know, about racism and all those things. And I just thought, oh, my God, no, no, no. What's about to happen? What am I going to do? Am I about to be assaulted? You know, stuff like that. But I opened the door and... Because, you know, what am I, what, what I going to do, run away? So I right. open the door and I'm hey, they're like, hey, are you new? I'm like, yeah, I just got here like, you know, two days ago. And they say, oh, what's your name? And I'm like, my name is Richard. Where are you from? And I say Cameroon. And the usual question was, oh, where's that? <laughs> right. I, I'm like, you know, Central Africa, all of that. And they go, oh, can you come in? And I go, sure, sure, sure whatever. We're you know, mm-hmm. coming in. And we talked for like five hours. Whoa. I mean, we were super curious, you know. How is it where you're from? You know, uh, how did you get here? You know, all these questions. I mean, they were genuinely curious. Yeah. And they helpful as well because they were like, oh, you know, if you ever need to go shopping, just let us know. We'll drive you. Here's my number. I mean, you know, I'm down in room 107. If you, we play, you know, we play Xbox every Wednesday evening, please join us. You know, so that for me was the first kind of, it was, it was a bit surprising to me. I, I didn't, like, growing up here, I didn't expect that. Mm-hmm. Especially because when I went to the Blackstone Union meeting, 
I didn't get the same warm reception. Uh, you know, so I remember calling my mom and going, I am so confused. You know, I'm so confused. Like the people who look mo- the most like me were not as welcoming as the other kids. So I'm gl- glad that happened that way because it allowed me to kind of expand my horizons and move past, yeah. you know, prejudices, my own, my own prejudices growing up, growing up here. For me, that was the biggest kind of shock. It was, wow, this is, you know, people, people really are just people, right? Right, right. For me, that was the, the biggest thing for me. And the other thing, obviously, was just food. Right. I had a hard time. I remember walking into the cafeteria the first day and looking at a, at a bunch of things I didn't recognize. And I saw chicken. And I'm like, oh, I know what that is. Right. So I grab a bunch of chicken and then I taste it. And <laughs> Salt like, and pepper. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, what is this? Like, this is not chicken. This is, I don't know, plastic. I, I don't know what this right. is. But there's a seasoning problem here. You know right. <laughs> But obviously, eventually you get used to it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. I I, I, I really look forward to like hearing like all of the stories because like we all have like special experiences that we had, which which is super hilarious, you know, (laughs) and sometimes even sad, you know. So like in terms of the classes, like how did you see like how did you adapt to the accents and, you know, just the courses, you know, back home our Courses were relatively harder, in my own opinion, especially mm-hmm. in high school. Like my first, my fr- freshman and sophomore years, that's my first two years in college here, were like a smooth ride. You know, the only right. obstacle was just that they gave us so many assignments. Oh my God, they gave you so many homework assignments. They keep you busy, even though it's easy, they keep you really busy, you know? So how did you like accommodate to all that? How did you get acclimated to like the education system? Um, I think... Because I was in public relations and I've always liked, you know, communications and things like that. Honestly, it was pretty seamless. You know, I got there and I didn't really have much trouble. Mm-hmm. I, I did have some problems with that, with the accent, you know, at the beginning. There was a lot of things I would miss in class because I just, I didn't, like, I, they would pronounce words differently and things like that. And yeah. I just follow. But that, that, you know, passed pretty, pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And you know how it is in small schools? Professors are very accessible. I yeah. mean, you know, I didn't even need to interrupt during class. I would just wait. Mm-hmm. And after class, I'd go to their office and they'd take an hour or whatever, they, however much time they needed to explain things to me. So it, it honestly was, was pretty, pretty seamless for me. It's when I switched over to international business that it became a little trickier for me because there's, there's quite a bit of mathematics involved and I was a you know history literature student oh, you know, like, okay. that, that's you know when things became I had to work a lot harder to to survive right but because the the the, the you know, small towns are so I don't know about you but I loved it in my like, yeah. small town. yeah I, I love people, small towns people are super friendly yeah professors are accessible it's a tight-knit so community yeah. Very tight-knit community, exactly. So I, I don't know. I, I didn't have a hard time, you know, kind of adjusting to to the new the ed- educational system. Like mm-hmm. you said, it's not very, it wasn't very difficult, but it was very enjoyable. I liked the way, you know how here it's difficult to to challenge uh, a teacher. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is how things are, things are. Here, you can't really say, mm, I don't think so. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, how dare uh, you, right? <laughs> how dare you? Really? How dare you? <laughs> so I loved the fact that I could I could say, um, I, I, I disagree and have an exchange with the professor. Right, and, right. And they would enjoy it, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So, so you know, it was, it, was, it was pretty, it was pretty smooth uh, transition for me. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, thank you so much for that. Now, when you were done with school, I know you mentioned that you had a year of OPT. And for those who don't remember what an OPT is, it's just like an additional year that the United States Immigration Services, they actually give you an extra year after you graduate, maybe to use that as your experiential year to find a job and stuff. But you have just that one year on, and you can only stay past the one year if the company decides to sponsor you, you a work visa, right. you know, to right. be eligible to continue working in the U.S. or if not, you'd have to go home. Now, you mentioned that you spent your OPT as an admissions counselor. Like, what prompted right. you to do that? And did you, like, pave the way for more international students, especially from Africa, to come to that school? So when I first got there, um, they didn't have an orientation process for international students oh. because I didn't have many. So the first, one of the first things I did was help them set that up. I worked with the director of international missions to kind of say, hey, you know, it might be nice when we get here to have like a whole thing. And after I got there, I think they actively began to recruit African students. Because, hmm. um, you know, uh, truth be told, they never had reached like, thought about Africa before. Um, and then this kid from Cameroon applies and they're like, whoa, what is, what? And then I got there and I fit in quite nicely. And, you know, most people, like I got along with a lot of people, my professors, my friends and things. So I think after that, they said, oh, you know, maybe there's some potential out there. Let's, let's start applying. Mm-hmm. I remember my third year, there were two Cameroonian students who actually came to my school. But, and by then there were like, 10 other African students, mm-hmm. um, but there was, lot, there was a lot of more and more kids from Saudi Arabia because the, the Saudi Arabian government would pay for their, their, mm-hmm. their education. And then obviously more and more Asian kids as well. Mm-hmm. And, but my, in my, in terms of my job as admissions counselor, I wasn't really working in an international office. And most, when I usually tell people I work in admissions, they assume I work with international, international students. Yeah. Um, but I actually worked with American students. So I recruited, I recruited in like New York and West Virginia and all these places. And so my kids were, were American kids. But the thing about it is it gave me insight into exactly what happens when you apply. Right. So when your application gets there, what happens, right? Hmm. When they're reading your essays, what are they looking for? You know, so it really gave me, because this was my job. My job was to receive these applications and read the essays and, and look at their transcripts and all of that. And so it really gave me that insight into, oh, when we send our transcripts or when we write our essays, we shouldn't write this way. We should write this way. Right. Um, we should emphasize this and not that, you know? And so that it kind of got the ball rolling in my head in terms of I can probably put these skills to to good use back in you know back at home. Right. Well, thank you so much. So let's talk about you coming back home, right? <laughs> That's always the fun part. <laughs> oh, oh boy. Right. Yeah. Actually, so I know I, I would only imagine that, you know, based on the passion that you've always had to have an impact in the community, especially your own community, which is Cameroon, that was probably one of the things as well that prompted you to want to move back to yes. to Cameroon. So how was that transition like? Wait, did you have days where you just regretted that decision <laughs> and you were just oh, frustrated? No. <laughs> um, so what happened when I, when I first got home, I mean, it was pure ecstasy. It was fantastic. I was back home with my family. Right. And, and it was great. And then maybe four months in, you realize, huh, <laughs> you know, I better find something to do. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so you start looking for jobs. And then there's that r- a rude awakening of, 
it's not as simple as applying for a job here. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. there's there's a lot. I mean, unless you're applying for like a multinational or something like that, applying locally is it's tough because yeah. there's a lot of networking involved, mm-hmm. and 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 so if you don't know anyone. It's difficult for you to to kind of break into into that system, mm-hmm. and so oh yeah, so yeah, there were moments when I thought, why on earth did I come back to this place? <laughs> you know, like what? This is the worst decision I ever made. I never should have come back. I should have stayed in America and you know just stayed there. Yeah, but do you have that? But then if you're able to kind of hang in there and find things that you're interested in doing, and so for example. One of the things I did, this is this sounds kind of interesting, but I I started a record label when I came home. Wow. Yeah, because I, I like I always loved music. Mm-hmm. So when I started working at the Mona Foundation, there's a recording studio there, and I was like, you know what, I'm gonna you know I'm gonna I'm gonna make the most uh, out of this situation. So mm-hmm. I started a record label. Um, this got me connected to so many people. This got uh, this was I mean really fantastic opportunity. And then working at the foundation. I got to do all these really great work, working with orphanages, helping these kids. So putting them through school, teaching them trades that they could use, mm-hmm. you know, um, after. Because usually they, in a lot of these orphanages, they, they come in really young. Yeah. And then by the time they're 18, they have to leave, right? Mm. So we make sure they, have, they learn some kind of skill that they can use to survive when they, right. when they leave the orphanage. So I got to do all these great things. And it, doing all this that I now met someone at the U.S. Embassy. Mm. And they learned my background and they thought, oh, my goodness, because there, there had never been a Cameroonian educational advisor at the U.S. Embassy before. Right. It was always it was, it was reserved for for Americans mm-hmm. who were here. And so they thought, oh, you know, maybe if we went in another, in another direct uh, direction with a Cameroonian who has applied, has gone to college, has right. worked in admissions. He may be better able to connect with these Cameroonians who are trying to go and study. Um, and that's how, you know, we that that kind of got got started. Um, but yeah, coming home is is a tough choice to make. And it doesn't work out for everyone. You know, I, I shouldn't sit here and act like if you can just persevere, it'll be fine. That's right, not true. Right. It doesn't work out for everyone. For some people, they come here and even after five, six, seven years, they're super frustrated because things are just not working out the way the way that they want um so that was my situation for I'm, I'm just fortunate that things worked out for me but again that's again that's just that's just me everyone's circumstances and everyone's uh kind of the outcomes are not the same for 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 everyone right that's true so let's talk about your role at the u.s embassy as an education advisor right you've already yeah. told us how you got that gig now what exactly did you do like were you directly connected to the department that you know, offers the visas to the students or you just advise them to know what to do when going to get a visa? So we, I didn't work at the, at the consular section who are the, the people who give the visas, but I worked very closely with them. Mm. Uh, so when students would come and I would work with them, I didn't do like, like visa interview preparation, but I, during my presentations, I would always invite someone from consular to come and give a presentation about, hey, when you come to the interview, you know, here's how to prepare. Here's what we want to hear. Here's what we don't want to hear. You see what mm-hmm. I mean? So, and I had meetings with them every Thursday where they would literally tell me, you know, when students come in, you know, this is what, this is what we ask them. This is what, when they say things like this, you know, immediately they're disqualified, you know? So I have a very good understanding of kind of the intricacies of yeah. the, 
of the visa interview. But the thing about being an um, educational advisor at the embassy is that there's so many things I, I couldn't say to students, yeah. right? You know, some students would get denied visas and I'd be shocked. So I'd go to the consulate section and say, what happened? You know, like I work with this kid. He's brilliant. He has a scholarship. What's going on? And then they'd say, well, here's why he was denied. We can't tell him and neither can you, right? Yeah. Here's why. So after doing this several times, I can today look at a kid's documents, ask him what another uh, interview went, and know exactly what happened, mm. right? Um, and this is one of the things that we do is kind of consulting for people who sometimes maybe they've been denied a visa already or they're about to go for their visa interview. We look at the documents and we try to kind of steer them in the in the right direction. Right. And the first thing we tell them, obviously, is don't tell a lie. Right. <laughs> like they, have to, they have to lie and they really don't. And so I'll give you an example. There's a student who, when I worked at the embassy, I remember came and saw me and said, you know, I've been denied a visa and I, and I can't for the life of me understand why. So I said, okay, how did your interview go? Tell me, tell me what happened. And she, I'm not going to say what school she was going to, but it's mm-hmm. a school. There's a lot of Cameroonians there. And she said, oh, they asked me uh, why I chose the school. And I said, okay, okay what, what did you say? And she goes, well, I just told them, I, I know I found it online and they have a great, you know, physics program. Oh. And I go, <laughs> and I go but that's not true, right? No, that's true. I'm like, look, I'm not a consular officer. I'm trying to help you. Just tell me the truth. How did you pick the school? And she goes, well, my uncle is a professor there. Hmm. Okay. Why didn't you tell him that? Right. Oh, because some, you know, I worked with some consultant who told me not to tell him. I know anyone. I just thought, oh my God. What is more logical right. than going to school because your, your uncle teaches there? Yeah. It makes perfect sense, yeah. right? You don't have to pay for housing. He'll be there to help you integrate the community, to help you with your classes. I mean, it just, it makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. sense, yeah. Right. I said, you know what? Go back and tell them you lied. Tell them you got some really bad advice and, you know, what? Now you're just, you're just going tell, to tell the truth. And she went back and she got her visa. Wow. You see, so a lot of students will stand in their own way. Yeah. Right? This is because they work with people and they, they receive advice from people who have no idea what they're talking about. Right. And mm-hmm. so hopefully those, those are one of the things that we, we try to kind of kind of kind of deal with. Yeah. Right. So I would probably say, you know, just not being truthful is probably one of the most common reasons why a visa has, is, is being denied. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And once you tell once you tell a single lie, regardless of how small it is. Once they find out you're lying, you're done. Right. 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 It makes people, it more difficult. Right. That's why you'll see some people, their interview will last 15 seconds and they don't understand why. You go to a school where there's a lot of Cameroonians. They know there's a lot of Cameroonians there. It's a, how, how did you find the school? Oh, I found it online. That's not true. That's not true. Someone told you about the school. Right. right? Tell us how you found out about the school. Why, why do you have to lie about that? You see what I mean? Yeah. And once you do that, they're done with you. They just say, I'm sorry, but you don't qualify. Bye. Right. Right. People are shocked. Oh, this person just woke up on the back side of the bed and, and decided not to give <laughs> me a visa. That's, that's not true. That right. Doesn't happen. Right. Wow. It seems like you have a lot of insight, you know, on the application process and what actually makes a student very qualified. And that's why I want us to really dive deep and talk about the student advisor. So based on your experience, it's very obvious that, you know, you had that motivation to start the student advisor 
you know, from everything you've been through and all the resources that you have had and used, which could also be in turn resourceful to prospective students trying to go to the United States of America. So basically, I know you mentioned about the, the gaps and the needs, you know, that this innovation, uh, which is the student advisor, could feel. So can you further elaborate on that? Yeah, so Cameroon, I think there are about maybe 2,000 Cameroonian students studying in America now. There could be way more. Hmm. We have so many more qualified students who just fall through the cracks because they don't have information. When I started working at the embassy, one of the things I started doing was, I mean, I did a real media blitz. So I would go on TV, I would be in the papers, everywhere. I would do Facebook Live, I would do everything. And we ended up having like a 17% increase. By by the time I was in my third year, we had like a 20% increase in the number of Cameroonian students studying in the States together. I'm not saying that that was all me, but I'm saying that disseminating correct information is really important for our students uh, because they don't know. You have all these kids who have five A's and four A's and, you know, at the the advanced level, they should be going to MIT and Stanford and and Berkeley, but they just, they, they don't know they can, right? They don't know that they can. And even when they've seen other people do it, they don't know how to go about it, right? So we, what we do is we take students from the application process all the way through the visa, their visa interview. So we will help you do school selection, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we will look at your profile, look at what you're trying to study, look at your grades, look at all of that. We will help you choose the school that corresponds to your, your needs, both academic and financial. Because again, you know, a lot of people get into a lot of trouble going to schools that they can't afford. Right. And then either have to drop out because they can't pay anymore or they have these ridiculous loans at the end of their, their, their education. So one of the things we try to do is make sure you know, how much do you think you can afford, right? You tell us that, we try and find a school that suits your uh, financial um, as well as your academic needs. Right. Um, we help students with their essays, right? Because the thing about the, the application process uh, in America is it's holistic, right? Yeah. They look at your grades. Yes. They look it's at your not grades. only about school. <laughs> right. But they want to read your essay. They want to see your letters of recommendation. What are your extracurricular activities, right? Mm-hmm. So we, we, we prepare students. I, often we start working with them when they're in lower sixth. Mm. That way we can say, you don't have any extracurriculars. You need to get involved in something else. Right. right? Whether it's some kind of club on campus. Or volunteering. Volunteering somewhere, whatever it is. We need to get that on your, you know, kind of on your resume because it, 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 play, it bodes well for you when you apply. Mm-hmm. Right. So we, we, we helped with the essays, even letters of recommendation, because our teachers, their style is, doesn't always match what Americans are trying to see. Yeah. Right? We are so focused on grades. Right. So oh, yeah. Ask to talk about to write a letter of recommendation. She said, oh, this guy, he had he had a 19 average and then he had five A's. They know that the schools have. this. Yeah, they have the transcripts. <laughs> right, they have all of that. So we coach the teachers to say, hey. You know, don't tell them that that that's they already know that what they want to know. They want to know about this kid. What kind of kid is he? How what is it like teaching him? Mm-hmm. Right. Those are the kinds of things they're they're, they're interested in knowing. So we, 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 we do that as well. Even with credential evaluation, we help the students complete their, their credential. About basically the whole application process. We work with them to 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 get that you know done and done properly um, now. 
we just started a, a boot camp actually, which is which is reserved for very very high achieving students. These kids who deserve and who are who are qualified to get full scholarships. Right. Um, where we actually bring in SAT tutors to help them uh, prepare. Um, so because you, as you know, when they've looked at your transcript, they'll look at your SAT, SAT as well. SAT, yeah. Right. So we bring in a tutor who works with them for about a month to kind of give them. Because a lot of these kids are kids who already they're, they're very good at math. Yeah. Right? They're not really teaching them the math as much as they're teaching them the techniques to approach to your personal questions. Yes. Right. So we do that. As I said, we work on the essays, work on the recommendations, all those things. And then once they have their admission and they have their um, scholarships, we do like prepar- preparation for the visa interview. Right. Right. Um, because we basically run mock interviews with them. That's what awesome. We, we awesome. We do those like four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times as much as we need to until you are fully prepared and confident, right? And confident at you because again, the practice makes it so that you're not as nervous on the day of the interview, or even if you are, easier for you to appear to be confident when you rehearse and you know and you know what to do and what to say. We don't tell them exactly what to say because again, you know. that's not our job. Yeah. But what we do is we we let them know the attitudes and kind of what is the information that these people, the visa interview, the, the consular officer is actually looking for. Right. Um, that way, you're giving the answers, they're not rambling on about things that, you know, have little or no value to right to the interview. So um, that's what we try to do. We also do um, every, at least once every month, we have an orientation, which mm. is free and open to the public, where we just kind of tell people, look, if you want to go and study in America, here's what you here, here's what you need to do. Right. right? Some resources to help you choose your school. Here's what you need to do for about your essay. Here's what you need to do about your recommendation. Completely open and free to the public. And we just give out this information. That way, students who are self-starters and don't need us to do the work for them can do it by themselves. And that, that's that's perfectly great as well. Right. Well, that's awesome. I mean, this is this sounds like such a very, very great and needed program and opportunity that every student who wants to go to the United States should take advantage of. I honestly think that, you know, life would have been way easier and better. I probably would have made better choices if I had this kind of opportunity <laughs> when I was, you know, coming to the United States, because it's really amazing how much we just try to figure it out by ourselves, you know, because yeah. we don't have any guidance. You know, when I, whenever I look back, I always tell my friends, like, if I had to do this again, I definitely would have done it differently. Like I should right. have sought advice. I should have, you know, done a lot more research, but then back then as well, we didn't really have the luxury that the kids have today of like you know fast internet you always had to go to the cyber cafe you know we didn't have like the smartphones yeah it was so slow you know so we didn't have all of that you know all of those resources that the kids have now so this is definitely an opportunity worth exploring now i know you mentioned another big thing too was that you mentioned that you know, it's always advisable to start from lower seat because for us, some of us even graduated high school before we started even the application process, you know, and sometimes most of the times the application deadlines are even closed. You know, you have to, you know, send emails here and there. So for, and, and also I, I feel like this also goes to the parents because a lot of parents, they, they keep it away from their children that they plan on sending them abroad. Right, you know right. what I mean? Because I guess uh, they don't want it to be in their head and then they don't want action. them to, yeah, mm-hmm. to get laxed and not 
focus in school. So they just right. have to find that balance because I didn't know I was, I mean, there were speculations that, oh yeah, you know, you know, in high school, you know, some kids that will go abroad, <laughs> especially right. when, right. you know, in secondary school, we were going abroad for Christmas and you know like so they already know that oh yeah this one after high school I don't think she's gonna be here you know so but then again I didn't know you know because even the holidays that we went to there were always like surprises like my dad would come take us from school and he'd be like oh yeah it's your granddad's memorial or it's your this and then he we find ourselves driving to the airport in Douala you know so it was always a surprise to us so it's like We never really knew what the future held in terms of like whether we were going to go abroad and after high school. So that kind of limited us even trying to explore our options because there's no need for for me to explore services and pay someone to help me to go abroad when I don't even know that my parents can afford it. You know, they haven't communicated that to me. So I just feel like the parents will have to find that balance, you know, or maybe even start the application process maybe if they want to do that for the kids maybe like you know contacting you to start that or something but it's very very important to start as early as possible that's true so what i'm trying to do now and i'm i'm talking to a lot of schools is kind of set up study abroad programs um at at these very various schools Mm -hmm. where when their kids get to lower six, those who are interested in studying abroad, we start working when they're still in, in lower six. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have more flexibility. People don't want, you know, when a kid is in, is in upper six, the parents don't want them thinking about, uh, yeah. they, they want them to focus, focus on, on the, the A-levels. Yeah. So what we try to do now is to get them studying lower six, prepare for the SAT, uh, and then write it before, uh, take the SAT before they go to upper six, mm. right? Then in upper six, you know, you can focus on your, you know, your, your GC and all of that. But then once your GC is done, we can apply. Because what, what I've realized is parents don't want them applying earlier than that. Yeah. They just don't. Because they feel like these people are not going to be focused. Because I, I tried. I tried to tell, you know, I've tried to, to talk to parents and talk to schools. And they just say, no, no, until they've done, until they're done with their A-levels, we don't mm-hmm. even want to hear it. So at least we can get the SAT out of the way. Let them do their GCE and then, um, you know, apply right right after that. Right. Uh, it's 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 like you said. It's very difficult to get a parent to let the kid know that they're going to travel because the tendency and they're not wrong. I mean, the tendency yeah. is that the kids might think, "Oh, you know, I'm going to America, so yeah, you know, I don't have to yeah. put that much effort." <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. So, yeah, I, I was also going to ask, you know, if you actually make tours, like speaking gigs, like in schools, like just going to schools personally, having that direct contact with the schools and, you know, motivating and encouraging the students as well as the teachers to encourage students to participate in such a wonderful program. Because like I said, oh, my goodness, if even my even even if my dad was aware of such a program, yeah. he definitely would have taken advantage of it. You know, because it's extremely important and very resourceful, you know. So talking about, I mean, when, when did you start the student advisor? So I started in 2017. Okay. Uh, right when I left the U.S. Embassy. Mm-hmm. Or the student advisor, uh, advisor. But as I told you, I, I left the embassy to work at a, in a political campaign. Yeah. Campaign, yeah. Campaign. And I found quickly found out that I just I couldn't do the two at the same time. You, you, know, you know how it is at presidential yeah, campaign. Yeah, very hectic. Twenty four seven. I mean, yeah. it was it was it was crazy. So I put it on hold, and then once the election was over, so twenty eighteen, then you know we we, we got we back picked to back. it. Yeah. yeah. 
So, right. So I'm I'm sure since then you have worked with a handful of students, correct? A lot of students um, right. are. I'd say our success rate with people who are not in the boot camp is probably around seventy percent. Right. Because again, you do everything you can do, but you know, at the end of the day, they have to do uh, their part. <laughs> right, their part. So you can work with a kid. He does. He just doesn't do well in the SAT. Right. And then, you know, so he his transcripts are not that great. He doesn't do that well in the SAT. You know, they insist to say because with us, if we feel like we can't deliver, we are very upfront and we'll say, look, with your current grades, we're not sure that you can get into a good enough school um, and and get the visa. Mm -hmm. Now, you then take the decision as to whether or not you want to continue and and take the risk. But we tell you upfront, you're, you know, you need to find a way to up your grades, maybe go do a bachelor's and then try and do as well as you can um, or do even an, an HND. And then after those two years, we can try and see if try we can again. transfer. But if a student, if the student and their parents say, no, 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 we want to do it now. Okay. We'll go ahead and we'll get you a school and try and prepare you as best we can. But sometimes it just, it just doesn't work out. And sometimes it just, maybe the, the student went to the interview and the, their nerves got the best of them. Right. Um, things like that do happen as well. And sometimes, sometimes we'll tell the kid, you know, this particular issue in your, in your profile we don't know how you're going to circumvent that, but it's probably going to be an issue at your interview. And they go to the interview, and it's an issue, and they don't get the visa. So we try and do it. We try to do it as best as we can, and that's why we we started doing this boot camp because right. because this very high achieving students we can pretty much guarantee, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, there are 300 schools in America that give full scholarships to international students. Yeah. 300, yeah, right. So. There's a lot, there are a lot of scholarships, but you have to qualify. So we, the boot camp, we are trying to, you know, kind of pick those kids who we know are qualified and then send them right, you know, to, to the right schools and, and, and get them full scholarships. Right. Yeah. Awesome. And I think that's very important because like I said, for me, I went to my, like the school, the private school in Michigan, which was super expensive by the way, but right. I went there just because my dad's friend was a teacher there. Right. right. But they didn't give any scholarships. You know, so I literally had to pay everything 100% out of pocket. And that was hell. Like, that was ridiculous. You know, so, I mean, having that guy, if I had that guidance to find a school, not because, I mean, even though he was a teacher there, I was pretty much independent. Like, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't a crybaby, like, trying to, you know, I, I, I did everything by myself. So it wasn't even any difference to me, you know. And I didn't really have a lot of culture shock because I had traveled you know, before. So it it was one of those things that I just had to find my way around and I made friends. I made, you know, African and American friends and stuff. So it was easy for me to get incorporated into the system, you know, but if I could find, you know, a better school, if I had this guidance before even coming to America to find a better school where I could get as many scholarships as possible, you know, that would have been awesome, you know, so this is such a very great initiative. And what is the website? for which, you know, students can, you know, prospective students and parents can reach you guys or to at least look at the services that you offer? Yes. So it's just thestudentsadvisor.com. So www.thestudentsadvisor.com. It's really as simple as that. If you want to, if people want to have more information information as to what we do and what services we provide, uh, you know, they could just go to the website and, and it's pretty it's pretty user friendly. Right. Uh, also, you know, they can also write to us. They can they can write to us on WhatsApp. Um, if they want, the number uh, you know is plus one 
614-697-4455. They can send us messages and we'll answer all the questions they have. If they're here back home, they can call us directly. It's 680-230-570. And that um, so is yeah, the I'm area good. code 237. That's Cameroon <laughs> plus 237. Correct. correct. Perfect. And I'm going to um, have all of that in the show notes anyways. Yeah. And there's a Facebook page, Twitter, Instagram, all of that. I mean, right. you know, so... They can, we're not, we're not difficult to find. We're not hard to find. Right, uh, right, right, right. That's awesome. Point, real quick to your point about people, you know, insisting on sending kids, for example, just because there's a, some, someone who teaches there. Americans are very independent. Yep. And when we get to America, we learn very quickly. <laughs> very quickly. <laughs> right. He's very independent. So he's not, or he or she is not going to depend on this person who is there. Right. Now, if they're going to live with this person, that way it makes it cheaper. Cheaper. For them. Okay, that's valid, right? Yeah. Just to have this person kind of overseeing, it's not It's yeah. not necessary. Yeah, it's, really it's not. not. <laughs> I didn't have anyone. I went to the middle of nowhere in Ohio, no relatives, nothing. But I, you know, integrated the society so much. I ended up becoming homecoming king. Oh, nice. I mean, oh, my goodness. I mean, awesome. So, yeah, it was so... You know, you know, you know, you know how America is. Quickly, you forget you're a stranger, right? right. <laughs> um, so yeah, so there's so many more important factors that people should be looking at. Yeah, if, yeah, that, that that's right. very true. Because I mean, even though my dad's friend was a teacher there, I probably saw him like once a week or whenever I took his class. Like, and right. I was in the dorms, anyways. I was in the dorms for the first two years, and then I moved to an apartment, and I found right. everything myself. Like, I, I really, I was basically independent. So. Yeah, I didn't even have a choice. So yeah, that's that's a very important point to make. So based on all of your experience, what do you really wish you would have known or someone would have told you before applying to the U.S. to study? So I think two main things. One, that I should be careful about money, about the costs of your education, right? Right. Because often we just, I just, I just wanted to go to America. Yeah. Right? Oh yeah. That's, so, that's the, the hunger, right? Yeah. yeah. So you want to fall bush. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You just want to fall bush. And so regardless of how much it costs, if they give you the I-20, you'll take it, you'll go to the embassy and try to get your visa. Right. right. And there's a lot of trouble on the other side of it. I oh, wish yes. I knew that. Right. Because I graduated with some debt. Right. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So I wish I knew this. And I graduated some debt because I, I didn't know that this would become so difficult for me to for me to take care of. Yeah. And then I guess the other thing is just that it's possible. Yeah. That there there are scholarships if you work hard. Yeah. You see what I mean? So That's true. I had good grades. I could have gotten into a better school and gotten a better scholarship. I just didn't know. Right. Mm-hmm. I just didn't know. And, you know, some schools have the, uh, this technique where they will they will jack up the sticker price of the school. So they'll know no, it really costs like thirty thousand. They'll tell you it costs forty two. But yeah. And then they'll say, oh, we're giving you ten thousand dollars scholarship. That's, ca- <laughs> scholarship. That's true. You know? <laughs> right. I, I just wish I knew that. If you've worked hard and you have good grades, there are a lot of scholarship opportunities in America. A right. lot. Right. I wish I right. I I did I didn't know that. I didn't yeah. know that. With schools, you just see the names of certain schools and, and you just are afraid. Or you see a sticker price. A lot of the schools that cost the most give the most give the most in terms of scholarships. Right. The right. MIT and all these schools that cost a lot of money also have the biggest endowments and have a lot more money to give students. Sure, um, that's in, true. In, in, that's right. So that's yeah, that's, that's what I what I wish I knew. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's that's definitely something I wish I knew as well, you know, and talking about like masking the so-called scholarship in the in the tuition, like I feel like a lot of schools also do the whole out of state and in state tuition thing. So right. it makes it right. seem pleasant. But I'm like, I mean, every other student is paying an in state tuition. Right, right. So, I mean, it's not a it's not like privilege per se for me to be paying in state even if I'm an right. international student, which is considered out of state, like I need yeah. more than that. I need more scholarships, right. you know, because right. that's also what kind of blinds international students. And they think, oh, yeah, I mean, at least I have a discount. You know, any discount is right. is, right. is doable. Well, you really don't. Yeah, but you really don't. Right. You, know I mean? you really don't. It's- yeah, it's an illusion. It's if, an illusion. if anything, of- if anything, actually, the schools benefit more from international students because oh, a yeah. lot of the Americans or permanent residents, they take student loans. So it's like mm-hmm. to find someone that's willing to pay cash to yeah. you, like they yeah. would literally do everything to keep you, you know, so you yeah. just have to further explore those opportunities that you can take advantage of as well. Right. Right, right, right. Yeah, and international students tend to tend to pay a lot more in the cost of education than 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 American students. Yeah, which is you know, I mean, I won't say I won't say it's unfair because you know it's their country. That, yeah, that's, it's that's their country. <laughs> we have to be smart enough to now find the opportunities to lower that cost as much as possible. Yeah, uh, which is one of the biggest things we try to do for 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 our students. Wonderful, mm-hmm. wonderful. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate you. Coming coming on here and just, you know, sharing our platform with us and, you know, sharing your story and the services that you offered. You're definitely making an impact in the African community and the Cameroonian community as a whole. You know, I can only wish you the best. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to come talk to us and inspire future students who, you know, would like to explore those opportunities. And I really hope that a lot of people reach out to you, a lot of parents as well, reach out to you for that guidance because you have that expertise, you have all those years of experience, you know, you have a better story and a better insight and perspective to address such issues. So I just want to thank you. And I hope that, you know, this conversation doesn't really end here. A lot of people, a lot of parents and who are definitely sponsoring the students, you know, can have more conversations and try to, you know, find better ways of, you know, helping their kids, you know, who especially want to come to the United States. So I don't know if you have any last words to say before we close. No, look, just uh, thank you so much for having me on. I think your what you're doing is really great. Thank um, you. Amplifying our voices in the way that you do, telling our stories. I think it's, it's really fantastic. I'm a big fan of the show. Thank um, you. And thank you so, so very much for, for having me on. Thank you so much. And the feeling is mutual. (laughs) I'm also a big fan of your work and I look forward to seeing, you know, the impact, the greater impact that you will actually have in our, in our community. And I'll tell everyone I know who's back home trying to come out here to reach out to you as well. (laughs) And yeah, and I will keep you, I would uh, have all your contact information in the show notes for anyone who wants to reach out to you. So thank you very much. And I'll see you in the next episode. Bye. That's it for today. Thank you for listening to our show. If you want to participate in the show or find out more helpful resources, then visit www.livingafricanpodcast.com for more information or email us at hello at livingafricanpodcast.com. Also, don't forget to connect with us on all social media platforms at Living African Podcast. You can also connect with Anyo directly on Facebook or Instagram at Anyo Fombard. Thanks again for listening and let's not forget to be more understanding and nicer to one another.